You're listening to the Class on Task podcast, created for educators. Your hosts, Ashley and Brian, will share tips, strategies, and resources related to behavior and education that can help you in your classroom. Today, we're going to discuss a question we get asked a lot. So what should we do when our students aren't following instructions or they have incomplete work assignments a lot? So sometimes the general classroom behavior management plan isn't doing the trick and we need to add some additional strategies. So we have a guest today who has experience working with a wide variety of populations, aging from toddlers all the way up to adults. She's very passionate about applying the science of behavior analysis to improve the life of others. So I'd like to welcome Dr. Haley Ertel. We're so excited to have you on our show. Thank you, guys. I'm very excited to be here. Before we dive in talking about the behavior in your classroom, Haley, can you share with our audience some background that you have in behavior and what your current role is as a behavior analyst? Absolutely. So first, I just want to say thank you both for having me on your podcast. I started in the field of behavior analysis in 2014, which was my senior year of undergrad. And during that time, I took a behavior and learning course. And afterwards, I went to my advisor and I basically said, I need more of this. And he pointed me towards a semester internship at the New England Center for Children, where I worked for a few months in one of their residential programs. And I took some behavior analysis classes through the University of New England. And after that time, it was pretty much just game over for me. I knew I was hooked on the science. So I went on to pursue my master's degree at Florida Tech. I got my master's in applied behavior analysis and organizational behavior management. And then I jumped right into my PhD in behavior analysis and finished that up in December of last year, December 2020. During the majority of my time in grad school, I worked, well, first as an RBT and then as a BCBA at Nemours Children's Hospital in the behavioral health clinic providing EI services. After graduating, I took a position at Full Spectrum Behavior Analysis. I lived over in Tampa, Florida, and I worked as a regional director for them. So managing clinical services in the Tampa and St. Pete areas. Um, It was mostly in-home work, but I did do some consultations in school settings. So that was great to see that side of ABA because my background is largely clinic-based. So it was great to see implementing ABA in schools and see how it can make a difference in the school setting. So then some life events occurred and I actually recently ended up moving back to the East Coast of Florida and I now live in New Smyrna Beach. And before coming to the area, I did some research on what clinical services over here are like, and it seemed like the demand for services was much higher than what was being provided. So recently, I've embarked on a new endeavor of starting my own ABA company over here, which has been interesting, but mostly exciting. Um, We're called Atlantic Coast ABA. By we, I mean, it's just me right now. Um, But I I do have intent to uh, expand eventually. We'll see what that looks like and and what kind of financial footing I'll get in the beginning. But eventually, I'd love to be able to start my own little uh, clinic in the area over here. Nice. Well, congratulations on that new adventure. That's exciting. Thank you so much. Yeah, it is exciting. <laughs> yeah, that's fantastic. Being an ABA business owner is always an exciting venture and journey <laughs> with <Yeah>. it. So, <laughs> I've, talked to, I've talked to some people who ventured out there on their own into independent practice, and I've definitely done my, my research, but um, yeah, I'm really looking forward to it. 
That's great. So, I mean, yeah, you have a pretty extensive background. So let's kind of jump into some of the topic today. So whether you teach kindergarten or 12th grade, I'm sure there's been, you know, a student who has given you a little bit of grief about doing their classwork or homework, right? So some students may even exhibit problem behavior to try to get out of doing the assignment or continuously have those incomplete assignments. So what would you recommend as a first step when you notice a student having those kind of frequent problem behaviors when they have to do certain assignments? Well, first, I would suggest uh, you need to identify if it's a can't do or a won't do, because depending on what the answer to that question is, they'll be handled differently. A can't do is a skill that an individual doesn't have in their repertoire. So they're trying their best, but they simply can't complete the task. And if that's the case, then maybe they're not completing it because they need help. So we have to ask, is help being provided when necessary? Or does the student even know how or when to ask for help? It's not uncommon that asking for help is a behavior that needs to be specifically taught how to do, depending on the learner that you're working with. And then if it's a won't do skill, that means they possess the ability to do it. They just don't want to do it. So that would usually indicate a motivation problem. The student isn't motivated to complete the task. It's probably a non-preferred task or subject, which think back, we all had those. We have to take a step back and think about, okay, how can I make this more motivating or more pleasant for the student? And there's different techniques. Some I think we're going to talk about a little bit later, but you could try first then contingencies. So first do your math and then you get to go outside. It lays the contingency out simply for the student and you've potentially increased motivation to complete the task by establishing a reward. You could also try incorporating choice as much as possible. So let's say the subject is math. You can say, okay, do you want to do an addition or a subtraction worksheet? Or if it's reading, okay, do you want to read passage A or passage B? So getting the student involved as much as possible is a good strategy to use as well. And it doesn't have to be between two activities either. You can get creative with the choice. You can use um, a duration or a time-based measure. So do you want to read this passage for five or seven minutes? The difference between those two times is so small, but it's still putting the ball in the student's court, so to speak. So they're the one making that final decision, which may lead to less challenging behavior. Yeah, I, I really love that. And it reminds <laughs> me of the days of when I was working in the schools as well. It brought me back to a student I was working with where we would do exactly that of offering those choices. I like the time-based one too, because it's it's common that we hear like, oh, do you want to do this task or this task? But even offering the time, like that's yeah, that's really unique too. Really, really. And you can get creative with it depending on what you're working with in the classroom. So if there's, you know, one task the student has to complete and for some reason you absolutely can't, you know, deviate from it, you could even try, okay, do you want to sit in this seat over here or this seat over here to do it? So you can get creative with choice in a bunch of different ways. Yeah, for sure. A lot of times when students have problem behavior in class, we look at what the student can do differently. However, a lot of times it has a little more to do with how we can change our own behavior or even the classroom environment to help the student be successful. Can you share a little why this is true? Absolutely. So maybe the easiest way to break this down is to just go through what we call the ABCs of behavior. So broken down, that is antecedent behavior consequence. And that's what we need to look at when determining why a behavior is occurring. Antecedent being what's happening 
before the behavior. So consider what activity is taking place, where you are before it happens, who is around the student before it's happening, and consequence being what's happening after the behavior. And sometimes this may be one event, and sometimes this may be multiple events. So it's important to evaluate all of them. We can do a couple examples So let's say we have a student that's consistently throwing things in the classroom and we're quick to think, you know, they should be doing something differently. I've set the student up nicely with their work. They should be on task. But if we analyze those contingencies, those ABCs, maybe we notice that the throwing is happening during math. That's our A. Our B is the throwing items. That's the behavior. And C is maybe they get reprimanded and sent to the principal's office. Well, joke's on us because that kid doesn't like math, so they're actually throwing things to get out of math. So if we send them away after throwing something, they're going to keep doing it to keep getting out of that non-preferred task. So in this situation, we need to change the environment to set them up for success. Again, trying to make this more preferred, make sure motivation is there, so try some choice options. Or another common example is, Maybe a kid is engaging in challenging behavior because they don't know how to express what they want. So maybe they're screaming because they want to take a break. Well, we have to teach them, you know, when you're feeling frustrated or upset because you don't like math. I don't know why I keep going back to math. Clearly you can tell what my mom prefers. (laughs) I don't like math either, Haley. (laughs) That would be my example. (laughs) But when you're upset about this work, you just ask for a break instead of yelling and, and then you get a break. So again, setting them up with the tools, the skills to help be successful in their environment. Pat Fryman, who's a big name in the field of behavior analysis, he has a very powerful paper called There's No Such Thing as a Bad Boy. And maybe you guys can link that for listeners. It's also a TED Talk. And I think there's a longer version. He was a guest on the Behavioral Observations podcast. Maybe you could link that instead. But the whole premise behind it is that bad environments, bad modeling, bad teaching, that will lead to bad outcomes for the kids. But when we set up a good environment and good teaching, then the kid's going to succeed. And he refers to this as the circumstances view of behavior and how we're really all just a product of our environment around us. So it's the same thing. The same thing would go for the classroom as well. If a kid is having challenging behavior in the class, it can be all too easy to blame the kid. But again, we need to take a step back, look at those contingencies, look at those ABCs and see, okay, what in in this student's environment is influencing them to behave this way? and then make a plan for how we can alter that environment to help support them. And again, I definitely recommend your listeners go check out that Pat Fryman talk because he just does such a great job of explaining why we shouldn't be putting the blame on people themselves. Nice. That's a lot of stuff right there. (laughs) It was good. It was all really useful. (laughs) Um, I think you gave a perfect example too, because a lot of times in classrooms, one kid has problem behavior and it's easier to send the kid to the principal's office or out of the classroom to another teacher because it's either that one kid or your 17 or 30 other kids. Mm-hmm. So a lot of times it's like almost the easier, you know, faster thing of like, oh, I'm just getting this kid out of my classroom. I'm getting, you know, the problem behavior out so I can continue teaching. Right. But that kid may actually learn, oh, she sends me out. I got to go sit in the principal's office and talk to everyone I pass in the hallway and I don't have to do my math. <laughs> right. Yeah. So one um, frame of mind where the teacher might be thinking I've sent them away. They've learned the lesson. They're never going to do that again. When in actuality, you've, you've just rewarded their behavior. They're going to keep doing that. They're probably going to do yeah. it even more. Actually. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yep. Then they'll get suspended and then <laughs> they get suspended. They get to play video games. <laughs> so no, yep. I had a kid who got suspended and I asked him, I'm like, 
so what did you do at home yesterday? Oh, I watched this. I played video games. I did this. I'm like, hmm, all right. (laughs) And that just creates that vicious cycle. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. Because then next time they're going to skip all the little stuff that gets them sent to the principal's office and just engage in the behavior that got them suspended. So yeah, (laughs) yep, Yep. exactly. So the, the question becomes, if we know students struggle in a certain subject, right? Like we were talking about math before or a specific, <laughs> or a specific task, what are some things teachers can do prior to starting that class period in order to kind of help, help the student be successful? Great question. Uh, there are a few techniques that teachers can do prior to starting class. The first is something we call pairing, which basically just means building rapport with your student or students. And it's when you take time to pair yourself with their favorite stuff. So their favorite activities, their favorite toys, their favorite topics of interest, you know, just take time to have a conversation with them on something that they really like to talk about. And over time, over those repeated pairings, they'll start to see you as something preferred and, you know, something that they want to engage with. And some may be quick to call that time spent unproductive since there's no academic learning occurring, but that relationship between teacher and student is the foundation to good instruction. That's the foundation that good instruction is built on. And students may be more likely to listen to your instructions after time spent pairing. So I definitely recommend that. We can even relate this to our own personal relationships here for a second. So think about someone you have a good relationship with versus someone you don't have the best relationship with. Which one are you more likely to want to talk to or which one are you more likely to want to complete a favor for? Definitely the one you have the better relationship with, right? Oh, yeah. And and that's why pairing is so important for that dynamic. I'd also stress the value of continuous pairing. So this isn't something that's done once in the beginning of the school year. It should be continuous. So kids that I've worked with for two, three years plus, I still pair with them almost every single session. Again, that relationship between you and your learners is is so critical to instruction. Uh, Something else I'd recommend is also assessing motivation. Assessing motivation is important. So going back to a learner not completing a task because they don't want to do it, if it's non-preferred, we want to make sure that they have a good reward in place for task completion. So ask them, uh, you know, what do they want to earn and then set very clear expectations. So complete three worksheets and then you get to take a break on the iPad. Uh, so a very clear outline of exactly what they have to do and the preferred item that they'll earn for it as well. Schedules are always helpful too. So routines and expectations that students can use as a reference point throughout the day. Any advance notice warning can be helpful if you know a certain subject is coming up that a student doesn't like you can try and give them a warning beforehand that can potentially help set you up for success as well. Great. Yeah. I I think all of those are really good pieces of advice on that, right? Especially to building those relationships is so crucial between staff and students. And, Mm -hmm. you know, those relationships, I think, carry over, like you said, for many years to come, especially if you have students within the same building for a long period of time as part of that. You touched on a really good point, too, that it it needs to be continuous. I know a lot of teachers at the beginning of the year, that first week or two, they purposely plan activities that are icebreakers or, you know, get to know your students and kind of building rapport. And they do a lot of lessons and stories about that. And I think it's really important to just remember to do that throughout the entire year. Absolutely. It's really good. 
Right, so some of our students uh, frequently struggle with tasks are often provided accommodations that are included in their IEP or their individual education plan. Some of these accommodations can be providing more time to complete assignments, chunking assignments and parts, and providing outline notes. What are some other strategies that work well with encouraging students to complete their work? A few things I would suggest if a student is having a hard time completing their work could be one, something called demand fading, which basically just means slowly increasing the amount of work that they have to do. So sometimes giving a student a large amount of work can be very overwhelming to the student. So the idea behind demand fading is setting them up for success by giving them a small amount of work to do first, reward that, repeat it a few times gradually increase the amount of work that they have to do, reward that, and and so on. And depending on the learner, sometimes you have to start very small. Maybe you're just trying to build them up to complete one worksheet. So the contingency is just do two problems on this page, and then you get to take a break with the item or activity you want. And also important to note is the increment you increase it by is not going to be the same for every learner. So for some, it could be we'll increase the number of problems you have to do by 10 each time. But for some students, it might be one. Uh, You just have to adjust it according to what is going to be most effective for that particular learner that you're working with. Another option is providing breaks. So sometimes they're hesitant to want to provide breaks. Teaching a student how to ask for a break is usually a more acceptable alternative um, than engaging in a challenging behavior in order to get a break. So would we rather have a student say, break please, and then let them leave the task versus throw something and then and then they get to leave the task? The, the request, the break please, that's a better option there. Or maybe you've noticed that a student can work for about five minutes before they start to have some, some challenging behavior. So maybe around that four minute mark, You provide them a break before they even get to that point and give them praise. So, hey, Johnny, I I really like the way that you're working so nicely just now. You can go ahead and take a break from your work. So rewarding that good behavior before the challenging behavior even has a chance to occur. Providing choices is something that we talked about beforehand, but that could definitely be incorporated here as well. Nice. And just to play devil's advocate. So I know there's probably some teachers, they're thinking, listening, saying, okay, you want me to do all of these things for this one kid and spend so much time doing all of these things. What would you say to that teacher? I would say, yes, it can be more time consuming. Absolutely. But we're not just setting up that individual for success in your classroom We're setting up that individual for success in your classroom and their next classroom and the one after that. So yes, it's, it's absolutely time consuming and it's a lot of work, but you know, you haven't just helped their day or their week. You've helped potentially the rest of their academic experience. You know, you just want to look at the big picture there. I like the way that you phrase that too. I think it's hard sometimes because we hear all these strategies and we're thinking, oh my goodness, like how am I going to have time to do all of these? Or this is a lot to do with just one student, but kind of knowing like if I do it now, I put in that work now, it's really going to pay off for that student down the road. And it's not always going to be, you know, you're you're not, like you said, you're going to increase it slowly to do Mm -hmm. more tasks or complete more activities. So it won't always be at that, that level of assistance that you're providing the student. Right. Absolutely. Yeah, I, I agree with that too. I, I always look at it this way. It's like you're making the short-term investment for a very long-term gain as part of that. And it's true. And a way I've always phrased it to teachers is, hey, it's going to be hard. We're going to roll up our sleeves together and do yeah. this because ultimately at the end of the day, right, it's going to benefit 
and actually make their job easier the rest of the school year, right? If mm-hmm. we if we end up setting oh, yeah. it up correctly. Wow, um, that's a great way to talk about it too. I like that. It's you know <laughs> difficult in the now, but there's payoff for you in the long run as well. Mm-hmm. Yep, yeah, they're just getting a little bit more of the delayed reinforcement on on that end of it, <laughs> but uh, but it's there. So right. one of the things that some of our listeners may be saying too, or thinking to themselves, is you know as hard as it is to let things slide in our classrooms, right? Sometimes we need to kind of pick and choose our battles, right? That's kind of a common phrase that we'll hear, you know, I think teachers and even parents say mm-hmm. as part of it too. So what are your kind of thoughts on this? Do you agree or disagree with that? Oh gosh, yes. <laughs> Not just in the classroom, but I think in life in general, it's important to pick and choose your battles. I mean, I work one-on-one with kids and even with that much of a hands-on approach, I still have to pick and choose my battles. So some advice I received a while back, which related to this is actually drawn from the medical field. And that is to triage your situation. So the same way that a doctor has to triage and figure out the order of treatment and what to prioritize in terms of, you know, wounds and illnesses, we also have to triage behavior and think, okay, what is most important for me to tackle today or this week or this month? And that's what I'm going to put my focus on. And then once that's accomplished, okay, what behavior am I going to tackle next? And so on and so forth, because When you try and do too much at one time, it can, one, become messy with too many interventions and in place at one time. And two, it can lead to burnout and stress for you if you're not meeting those goals that you put in place for yourself. So absolutely pick and choose your battles. I really like that analogy of the medical field with that. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Because it is, it's so true. (laughs) really is. We got a, a new intake and there was there was a lot to help the kid with. And I I went to my supervisor at the time and she was like, okay, let's triage. Let's go. What's important. What's going to be first. What's going to be second. What's going to be third. So that's what we have to do. And think about like classroom examples. Like if a kid is used to throwing desks and huge items and they go and push a pencil off the desk, are you really going to tackle that? (laughs) You know, like, right. It's, I think that's, it's important thing to kind of keep in mind. Absolutely. All right, so let's say a teacher has provided all these awesome strategies and accommodations that you recommended today, but the student is still not successful in the classroom. What would be your next advice? Well, I feel like a broken record saying this, but (laughs) assessing motivation is just so, 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 so important. And depending on the learners that you have in your classroom, there's a couple ways you could do this. There's a bunch of formal preference assessment types that behavior analysts use, but most are probably too lengthy for a teacher to complete with a lot of students in the classroom. And if your students can read and write, they can fill out preference surveys or you can fill out preference surveys for them. So you have a bank of activities and items that they prefer. And if you don't have those things in your class, you know, maybe try and collaborate with caregivers to ask if they can send them in if possible. I'd also suggest just observing the students during their free time. What items, activities are the students gravitating towards during their free time in the classroom? And and maybe, you know, make yourself a little cheat sheet for each student. So, you know, Kate likes 
puzzles and coloring and painting. And maybe before Kate starts her unpreferred task, that usually leads to problem behavior. We ask her, okay, Kate, do you want to earn, uh, for following your rules, do you want to earn uh, puzzles, coloring, or painting? And let her pick right before the activity so you know that motivation to get the preferred item is really high because you just asked her right before the work. I like yeah. that. And I like that you're asking before the work and you're asking before any problem behavior. Mm-hmm. So that's really important too. All right, perfect. So Haley, sometimes, you know, teachers may be saying, especially when we're talking about giving rewards, right? Or, or thinking to themselves, hey, it's busy being a teacher, right? There, there may not be time to be able to give rewards all the time in the classroom, or that it could be distracting, right? If one student's constantly getting a lot of attention, extra stuff to complete their work, and then other students may start to question or, or wonder why they're not getting the same rewards. So we don't always want to stay at this phase of providing extra rewards constantly. So what are some strategies on fading out the use of rewards and creating a more naturally occurring reward system in a classroom? I'll answer this in two parts, if that's okay. Yeah, go for it. So the the first part regarding teachers maybe not having a bunch of time to give out a lot of individual rewards, I'd say look into group contingencies. So group contingencies are rewards that are given based on the behavior of a, a set of people in a group or the whole group. And there's a few different kinds of group contingencies. I can go into them really briefly and then maybe send you some resources to link for your listeners on them. But with independent group contingencies, that's when you have um, a contingency that's presented to the whole group, but it's only earned by those who meet the criteria that you set. So let's say the reward is 10 minutes of free time. It would be um, presented to the whole class. So anyone in the class who completes a certain amount of work gets their 10 minutes of free time. And those who complete the work get it. And if uh, you you don't complete the work, then you don't get that 10 minutes of free time. There's also dependent group contingencies. So the reward for the whole class is based on the performance of either one member or a small number of people of the the whole group. So something like these three have to complete their reading questions in order for the class to get 10 minutes of free time, something like that. There's also interdependent group contingencies. So every member of the class has to meet the contingency before getting the reward. So everyone has to complete their reading questions before getting that 10 minutes of free time. There's also the good behavior game, which students usually find to be pretty fun. It's when you divide the class into two groups and you monitor. Well, there's two different ways you could do it. You can either monitor disruptive behaviors So you may have a a pre-established rule in place, like the team with five or less marks gets a prize. And it's very important to establish what those behaviors are that will lead to a team member getting a mark, whether that's, you know, calling out or getting out of your seat, things like that. But you can also do the opposite of that and give marks for uh, good behavior. Again, being very clear about what good behavior looks like. And then the team with the most marks or the most points at the end gets the prize. So again, if giving out individual awards to students is too much time consuming or is is too time consuming, then consider some of those reward options there. And then for the second part, in terms of fading out rewards over time, instead of using items or activities, it's possible that over time we can eventually just use praise. 
I wouldn't recommend that for a group game because that's no fun <laughs> to work that hard. <laughs> like, good job, thumbs up. But for individual behavior, especially if the relationship between the teacher and the student is strong and they use those pairing techniques that we discussed earlier, um, then sometimes praise will function as a reward as well. And in the beginning, you can even pair your praise with the preferred item that you're delivering. So they complete the worksheet, they get something fun that they like, but you're also delivering that enthusiastic praise, like, hey, great job, I'm so proud of you, you completed the worksheet. And then eventually over time, over continued pairing with a student, it's just the praise that's being delivered, um, which is more naturalistic than having to, you know, give them something each time. Excellent. Yeah, I really like those strategies that you mentioned, especially those those group contingencies, because those do tend to be a bit easier, I know, for educators to be able to implement, but still very effective in being able to help shape and maintain behavior. And you can even, you know, try out a couple of them in, in your class and then give your class an option like, hey, did you guys like this one or this one better? Oh, I like that idea. Yeah, you it's a great idea. Choice again, so good for you. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I really like that idea. So you provided a lot of great strategies for us today. Is there anything that you would say to try to avoid when students don't want to complete a classwork? Yes. And the first one is something that we talked about earlier, but I'll touch on it again. So if they're doing something to avoid doing work, then you don't want to send them out of the classroom. Essentially, they're getting exactly what they want, and the student will just continue to engage in that disruptive behavior in order to get out of the classroom. So if if a kid, you know, throws their pencil and they get sent to the principal's office, you've rewarded that behavior and made it more likely that it'll occur again in the future because they don't want to do that work in the first place. I'd also recommend avoiding threats to complete work. Threats typically just make the already unpreferred activity more aversive for the student. So change your dialogue to reflect positive reinforcement instead. So instead of saying, you know, if you don't do this, I'm going to take away your free time. Try, if you do complete this, then I'm going to give you free time, that sort of thing. And, and again, we just don't want to make the activity more aversive than it, than it already is for the student. I would also say, depending on the reason for engaging in the challenging behavior, a lot of what we talked about today has to do with escape. So doing things to get out of a non-preferred task Sometimes individuals will engage in a behavior for attention as well. Actually, sometimes it's escape and attention together, actually. <laughs> but uh, when a learner is engaging in a disruptive behavior in front of a classroom, they now have an audience. And that attention that they get from teachers and peers may be a factor in the occurrence of the behavior. So when that's happening, just try and have peers ignore as much as possible because then it's A, I get to get out of doing my work and B, all my classmates think this is funny. So I'm definitely going to keep doing this. <laughs> so limiting attention for it. And you can praise the students who are um, acting nicely. So maybe, you know, you've got Tim who's having some challenging behavior on one side of the classroom and, and you're ignoring that and you're keeping the rest of the, um, the, the class on task and, and you're providing praise to them. So, hey, Catherine, I really like the way that you're sitting down nicely and doing your work. So again, helping to keep the other students focused on what they should be doing and then um, rewarding them for that in those situations. Great. Yeah, those are all... Fantastic tips and pointers there for our listeners. And I really like the fact too of, 
you know, don't make threats. <laughs> um, you know, I've heard it and I always say this with like crisis intervention training too, like don't make threats that, you know, or, or say things that you can't actually follow through on, right? Okay. I've heard, overheard people being like, well, if you continue doing this, you know, you're going to get suspended. And I'm like, hmm, last I checked you, you you're not the administrator. You can't make that call, <laughs> right? So I, I think that's that's a great point and, and making sure, you know, that we watch like how we're phrasing things. Right. And especially mm-hmm. if the child's already upset and they're frustrated and they're doing something they don't want to do. And then we've just compounded that with, you know, a threat that we've made. So it just, it, it typically doesn't work out for the best. Yep. So we've covered a, a lot of information today. Are there any final tips you have for educators related to helping them with their students and being successful with their classwork? I would go back to something that we talked about earlier. And that is when challenging behavior is occurring in the classroom, it's important not to put the blame on the child and and just take time to see what's going on in the environment in the classroom that's leading that behavior to occur. And then how can the environment be changed? What interventions can be put in place to help that child succeed? And then in the same vein as that, if the child's behavior is not improving, that's also not their fault. It just means that the modifications we made were unsuccessful and we need to try something else. Interventions are very rarely one size fits all. And sometimes we need to change our plans to accommodate one specific child in one specific situation. But when we're able to do that, we've just hopefully set them up for success, not only in your classroom, but success in future classrooms as well. And how wonderful is that? That, That's fantastic advice for our listeners. And if, you know, our listeners have any further questions related to this topic, what would be the best way for them to reach you? Um, Well, you can use my new company email address, (laughs) which is... (laughs) Uh, first name, last name, it's Haley.Ertel at Atlantic Coast ABA, all one word, dot com. Awesome. And listeners will have Haley's information in the show notes for you. So you'll be able to contact her with any further questions that you may have. But Haley, this has been fantastic. Ashley, and I just want to take the time to thank you for being here and, and sharing your knowledge with our listeners. Yeah. Thank you so much, Haley. Of course. Happy to be here. Thank you, guys. Excellent. And listeners, if you found this episode useful, please go through and share it with any colleagues, friends. And if you have not subscribed yet to our podcast, please make sure that you do so. Thanks for listening. Make sure you subscribe to this podcast so you never miss an episode. If you found value in this show, please leave a rating or share it with a friend. Resources mentioned during this episode and links to our social media pages can be found in our show notes. If you want to learn more about how Class on Task can make a difference in your classroom or school, check out our website, classontask.com. Thank you so much for joining us today and see you next time.